This is The Guardian. Today, a damning verdict. How Boris Johnson deliberately misled Parliament over Partygate and tried to intimidate the MPs investigating him. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. We knew it would be bad. When, last week, Boris Johnson got an advanced copy of the Privileges Committee report into him, he resigned. With a scathing attack on those investigating him over Partygate, Boris Johnson tonight sensationally quit as an MP. It had been a kangaroo court, he said. He'd been the victim of a witch hunt by anti-Brexiteers. This proud and belligerent former Prime Minister disappeared from Parliament altogether. And now we can see why, in full detail. Because the committee has released its report to the public. And what they found is dreadful. This is worse than anything that Boris Johnson or his supporters could have expected. Peter Walker is deputy political editor for The Guardian. And it's not because it's a witch hunt or a kangaroo court. It's a forensic, incredibly detailed, very loyally document that in great detail goes through what happened inside Number 10, what Boris Johnson said about it, why they believe he thus lied many, many times, and why they think this is an incredibly important matter. Over the course of more than 100 pages, the committee describes the parties that Boris Johnson went to during lockdown. Parties in Downing Street, the place where the rules on COVID restrictions, on how we could all live our lives, were being made. And they show how Johnson lied and lied again to Parliament about those parties. His excuses are refuted. His behaviour is heavily criticised. And the punishment they recommend for him is the harshest ever to be meted out to a former Prime Minister. It says here that the report now considers that if Mr Johnson was still a member of the House, he should be suspended from the service of the House for 90 days. And we have a wow from Jill there, because (laughs) that is a much bigger sanction uh, than was suspected in the run-up to the... Predictably, Johnson and his allies are fuming. I think their fundamental judgment is wrong because I don't think he deliberately misled Parliament and I think he tried to correct the record when he could and there's good evidence for that. The chance of Johnson coming back to Parliament now seems slim, though he's slipped his way through several scandals before. What's more important is what this report signals about the state of our democracy and whether we can trust our politicians to tell the truth. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, 
the demolition of Boris Johnson and a reckoning for British politics. Peter, we finally got to see this report from the Privileges Committee, which, let's not forget, is a cross-party committee. People have been waiting for months for this to come out, and now we've seen it. The key finding is that Boris Johnson deliberately misled Parliament. Why is misleading Parliament such a serious issue? This is something the report goes into. Um, It makes the point that MPs are not just there to represent their local people. They're also there to scrutinise legislation and scrutinise what the government does. And this is this incredibly important part of the ministerial code. If a prime minister or any minister addresses the commons, they should, as far as possible, be telling the truth. And it makes the point that mistakes can be made. You know, facts can be found to be not the case. But the other key part is that once they know they've got something wrong, they return to the House at the earliest possible chance they've got and basically correct the record. And their conclusion was that Boris Johnson did neither of those things. Boris Johnson has made several statements to Parliament since evidence of his attending parties or work gatherings, as he may um, frame them, have come out. Which of those statements did the committee consider in their report? It considered quite a few. There's a long list because basically he got questioned about it at various points in the Commons over quite a number of months. As millions of people were locked down last year, was a Christmas party thrown in Downing Street for dozens of people on December the 18th. Two of the key ones it looked into were um, two instances of Prime Minister's questions on December the 1st and December the 8th, 2021. Is that that all guidance was followed uh, completely during number 10? And can I... Which was just after the Daily Mirror. Um, published the first reports into these alleged lockdown-breaking parties. I've just seen reports on Twitter that there was a Downing Street Christmas party on Friday night. Do you recognise those reports? (laughs) I went home. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, hold on. Um, uh, uh... Would the Prime Minister condone uh, having a Christmas party? (laughs) What's the answer? I don't know. It wasn't a party, it was cheese and wine. (laughs) (laughs) Is cheese and wine all right? No. It was a business meeting. <laughs> I'm joking. I understand and share the anger up and down the country at seeing number 10 staff seeming to make light of lockdown measures. And I can understand how infuriating it must be to think that the people who have been setting the rules have not been following the rules, Mr Speaker, because I was also furious to see that clip. And... At both times, Johnson said that um, not only were no rules broken, but he'd been assured by people that no one else knew about any rules being uh, broken. And those were the kind of two key things. Not only should he have known, but also did other people in Number 10 genuinely tell him that. Right, so people might be hearing about this report. They might be getting a bit of a sense of deja vu and thinking, well, hasn't a lot of this information come out already? In May last year, Sue Gray, who was at the time a senior civil servant, released her report into parties at Downing Street and she found that several of them did happen. Just remind me what the main events were that she looked into. There were quite a number. Sue Gray didn't look into every uh, alleged party that took place. But there was a series of them. There was a few leaving drinks. 
There was one at the end of 2020 where Dominic Cummings had left. Boris Johnson was quite pleased to see him go, but there was a drinks gathering for his then communications head, Lee Kane. There was also, crucially, this um, gathering in the cabinet room where Boris Johnson, according to his allies, was ambushed with a cake, which was the one that he was given the fixed penalty notice for. I wish somebody would ambush me with a cake. I know, it would be it's quite never nice happened before. Well, this is one of the interesting ones because one of the points that Boris Johnson has made is that he was fined only once. But obviously, over the whole course of the police investigation, there was large numbers of fixed penalty notices um, issued to lots of other people. And Johnson, to the very, very end, to the committee of MPs, was trying to say he'd done nothing wrong. But as they point out in one part of the report, um, he had the option when he was given the fixed penalty notice to say, no, I think this is wrong and challenge it in court. But he decided not to. On a day that happened to be my birthday, there was a brief gathering in the cabinet room shortly after 2 p.m., lasting for less than 10 minutes, during which people I work with kindly passed on uh, their good wishes. And I have to say, in all frankness, at that time, it did not occur to me uh, that this might have been a breach of the rules. But of course, the police have found otherwise, and I fully respect the outcome of their investigation. Back in March this year, Johnson appeared in front of the Privileges Committee and it was a long session. It went on for more than three hours. For people who didn't watch all three hours of that, can you just give us a flavour of how it panned out? It was a strange mixture of quite combative and quite procedural that the MPs were very, very determined to make as little of a circus as they possibly could. So they questioned him in, in a very detailed way. So if anything, the evidence was a chance for him to, I guess, mitigate what the fault might have been, to even to have said, look, you know, I got something wrong, I'm sorry, you know, I could have done things differently. But the fact he came out like swinging and saying, no, no, still absolutely nothing wrong, meant that the eventual conclusions were even worse. They found that he not only was in contempt of parliament, but he lied to them as well. I'm here to say to you, hand on heart, that I did not lie to the House. When those statements were made, they were made in good faith and on the basis of what I honestly knew and believed at the time. We're not going to go into each of the parties forensically, but you know, looking over how they're detailed in this report, there seems to be a clear pattern that senior staff around Johnson knew these parties were happening and that some of them were concerned about their breaking COVID guidelines. One of the interesting things the report sets out is the fact that the staff inside Number 10 could only have known that there were parties going on, um, particularly the people in the press office. You know, these were the people who were telling journalists like me and lots of other people day after day that there was nothing wrong taking place, you know, nothing wrong had gone on. Um, but it was obvious to anyone inside Number 10 that even if they weren't part of these drinks events, it's a reasonably small workspace people would have seen. And one of the interesting things which was buried in some supplementary documents, which the report put out at the same time, was evidence given to the inquiry by someone who worked at Number 10, or perhaps still works there, and they're not named. But it basically said there seemed to be this culture in Number 10 that the rules didn't matter to them. And it seemed to be you know, the one place you walked in the middle of COVID, it was like normal life. And one of the telling details in the evidence is the fact that they said that the um, security team basically warned number 10 staff 
look, be aware there's going to be people taking pictures when you leave. So don't go out in groups, try and look socially distanced. And I think this is one of the most difficult things for Johnson all the way through, that it was very clear there was this set culture within number 10. And his reaction to the report of Sue Gray was to kind of portray himself as almost this kind of like mascot being led around from gathering to gathering. He had nothing to do with it. And it's a bit strange because as the prime minister, you're an ultimate charge and the culture gets set from the top. So at very, very best, it shows he had no particular grasp for detail and no attempt to try and impose his own culture. Johnson was given a preview of this report last week and then he resigned as an MP on Friday, which we covered in an episode earlier this week. It had been a kangaroo court, he said. He'd been the victim of a witch hunt by anti-Brexiteers. At that time, obviously, the committee members were quite hamstrung in how they could actually respond to his furious resignation letter. But how has that come across in the report? Have they been able to kind of get their side across? They have. I mean, it's all been quite a rush, but they go into it in a very clear way, saying that they are not pleased at all that he not only um, attacked the committee and the members of it, but the fact that he revealed large parts of what the report was going to say. And they make the point that the copy he had was literally the only printed one, and thus the information could have come from him only. And since Johnson stepped down, the committee seems to have edited the report to say that they would have recommended, had he still been an MP, that he be suspended for 90 days. How serious a reprimand would that have been? What would it have actually meant for him? Well, it's an incredibly, incredibly serious one. And there's two points to make, one of which is that, as we uh, understand it, if Johnson had merely been guilty of misleading uh, MPs, they would have recommended a punishment of 20 days. I mean, this still would have been a very, very serious thing that um, your local constituents can try and force a recall, which could potentially get you kicked out of the Commons if the suspension is 10 days or more than that. So 20 days would have been enough to trigger that. But the fact that he released his letter resigning as an MP, attacking them and setting out large parts of what they said made things even worse. They updated it to 90 days. And this isn't the most serious punishment ever given out. Uh, Keith Vaz, if you remember him, the former Labour MP, was um, suspended for six months. As it turned out, a general election came and kind of cut that short. But this was stuff where he was, you know, basically buying drugs from people and all sorts of incredibly dodgy things. No prime minister has ever been found in the past to have acted in this way. So this is kind of unprecedented turf, really. Wow. No prime minister in the history of parliament has had this sort of sanction put on them. And no prime minister has ever been formally found to have misled other uh, MPs. I'm sure you could find examples where they did. But there's never been this formal process where it's been so serious that the privileged committees had to look into it and to make a formal finding in the way that they've done. And now that it's impossible to suspend him, what does the committee recommend that the House should do? In terms of the punishment which will uh, affect him now, the committee has recommended that I mean, when MPs normally leave the uh, Commons, they get given this option of a lifetime parliamentary pass, which is quite a useful thing. You can pop in, you can see people, you, know, you can lobby other people and stuff like that. And it's just a kind of courtesy thing. But 
the recommendation is he doesn't get that. So he can basically never set foot in Parliament uh, again unless he's brought in by someone as a guest. Um, and I don't think he'd like the idea of having a visitor pass around his uh, uh, neck. So that's symbolic. But for Johnson, that'd be quite a cutting thing. OK, so he's going to be having to go through the main entrance like we do. Have to wait to be picked up. Go through security. Yeah, get his, get his bags checked. You know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that depends on whether MPs vote for that. What did Johnson have to say about the report then yesterday? Johnson's response to it was released at the very, very moment the report itself came out. And it was very long, had quite a kind of, I don't know, Trumpian tone to it. It was all the way through. It was, I didn't do anything. The committee's not only got it wrong, but they're biased against me. This is an attempt to kind of kick me out of uh, the uh, commons for, uh, you know, no good reason. It's just because the politics that I've espoused people don't like. And it reiterated a lot of the very, very personal attacks he'd done before on individual committee members. Uh, one of the interesting ones was that he reiterated this personal attack on Bernard Jenkin, who's one of the senior Conservative uh, MPs. And there was this slightly strange episode earlier in the week in the Guido Fawkes website printed these as-yet-unproved claims that Jenkin himself attended some illicit drinks party during COVID in December 2020. So... Again, it's this quite Trumpian thing of not only never admitting any wrongdoing, but trying to claim that the people who've made judgment on you are the ones who themselves have done wrong. Yeah, they say in the report, don't they, he closed his mind to the truth. Is that alternative reality rhetoric that he's using? Well, it's very much is. And with all these things, with Johnson, you never quite know how much he believes it, how much it's just this kind of desperate attempt to save what he's got. And to an extent, it doesn't really matter. You know, he might believe it, he might not know. He might somewhere deep in his mind, you know, realise he messed all this up. But I don't think he's going to admit that. Coming up, the verdict's in. Now, what will MPs do with it? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. It's important to remember, Peter, that the Privileges Committee doesn't have power over Parliament. It can only make recommendations. The House is going to vote on their response to this on Monday. What can we expect? We expect even more fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be for people who watch this kind of thing. It's going to be completely fascinating, partly to see how many supporters Boris Johnson has got and also to see what they say. I mean, the interesting thing from the responses we've had from the report is it's been a relatively few number. It's been roughly the people you would uh, expect. And slightly weirdly, I mean, I counted it. It's about 80% of the people who have responded to criticise the report have either been given a damehood, a peerage or a knighthood by Johnson at some point. Once you have a chairman who shouldn't be the chairman, then you undermine the whole report. But so, Jacob, the criticisms... Um, you know, and, it, and I'm not saying that they're doing this because they've been given those, but it shows how kind of closely linked this little circle is. And the vote is going to be um, a free vote. You can expect every opposition MP to vote to condemn Johnson. And in terms of how many people will vote against it, I think it's going to be quite a small number. You might have quite a few people who would find a convenient reason not to be there. But in terms of actually trying to vote it down, no more than a couple of dozen. I mean, I could be wrong, but it doesn't feel like there's much appetite to try and, you know, try and actually change things. And Penny Mordaunt, who's the leader of the Commons, stood up yesterday, didn't she, and announced that there would be this free vote. How did her tone strike you? Her tone was very much trying to appeal to Conservative MPs to not fight in quite the rats in the sack way that they've been doing so far. All of us must do what we think is right and others must leave us alone to do so. She's saying to everyone, read the report, see what it says, come to your own view on it and vote on what you think. In the meantime, several of his allies have been coming out to do the media rounds and vociferously defend him. What argument can they actually make, given what's in this report? The arguments are basically exactly the same that Boris Johnson has been made, that, that the inquiry process is biased. Is it fair, in your opinion? No, it's not fair at all. And I think there are a lot of people, I think the, the committee have overreached. 90 days is utterly bizarre and preposterous. And I think a lot of people, a lot of MPs are thinking that at the moment. They make this slightly emotive uh, point of... You know, how can this tiny committee of only seven people, you know, end the political career of this person who was elected by so many millions? But that's not the case, that they can, you know, only recommend what takes place. And it's up for the Commons itself to decide what actually, you know, what his fate is. Um, so they've just really been trying to muddy the waters. Again, it becomes quite Trump-like. They're trying to impugn the integrity of the uh, MPs try and say they've been kind of captured by the blob. Some of them are trying to say it's an anti-Brexit plot. Politicians these days never seem to take responsibility for when they've got anything wrong. 
uh, Liz Truss was the same, you know, when she first um, spoke out after uh, she'd been ousted. Um, she never said once, you know, I basically completely cocked it up. She said there were these shadowy anti-growth forces trying to push me out. And these are almost the kind of uh, house-trained end of these wider conspiracy theories that start to infect so much of British public life. And it's a bit of a worry, really. Johnson's called the report a political assassination. Where does this actually leave his political career now? I mean, many more learned people than me have written off Boris Johnson's political career in the past <laughs> and have been proved wrong. I mean, there was a period when, after he uh, slightly bodged the succession in 2016 and decided not to go for the Conservative leadership then, there was this idea that his chances were, were, were very much gone. He never had actually that many allies in the Commons. So this idea he could succeed May was seen as a bit of a long shot. But I think now it would be extraordinarily difficult for a couple of reasons. The first of which, he would have to come back as a member of parliament. And to do that, he would have to have the Conservative Party central office saying, yes, you know, you're on our list of people who can go for places. And they don't seem to be particularly minded to do that. But the second thing is, too, that the polling shows consistently that Boris Johnson is an incredibly unpopular person. People don't like him. People don't like what he's done. So as an MP, would you really want to expend the political effort to get him back into Parliament and make him the leader when it doesn't look like his electoral magic would work again? I mean, there is potentially a route back in that if there's a general uh, election and, you know, Labour win big and the Conservatives are a rump of 200 and something members of Parliament, you know, who are biased towards the Johnsonite right, they might think, you know, things are so bad, what else can we do? We might as well, you know, bring him in. And if Sunak was out of uh, office, then this resistance to bring him back on board would be gone. But again, it'd be a massive risk. Although this report was solely into Johnson's behaviour, and the committee is very sure to say that, it reflects badly on the rest of the Tory party that, you know, they were until, what, 40 weeks ago being ruled over by somebody who is a proven liar. Where does this leave Rishi Sunak and his government? It's a tricky one because Sunak knew that this boil would have to be lanced at some point. And if, uh, hypothetically, the recommendation had been lower, say, 10 or 20 days, and Johnson had decided to fight through, you know, and kind of compete for his seat once more, that would have just kind of prolonged things for weeks and weeks and weeks. There is an argument that getting over and done with, you know, how much of a bin fire it is now is actually not that bad. And I don't know, the wider issue of Johnson very clearly, even before he took office, being an incredibly untrustworthy person is to an extent priced in because not only Conservative MPs knew that, but I think voters by and large knew that. That was this slightly interesting appeal that Johnson had, which manifested itself at the London mayoral uh, elections when he won twice, but the 2019 general uh, election. And so I think people took him on the fact that he was not particularly a serious person. So I think Sunak has managed to successfully reinvent himself in some ways as, you know, this being a new start. So I don't think the report will necessarily damage that, you know, particularly much more. You know, looking at this report, what it shows is that 
he has gone against the sort of honour of the political system. And what he's done is damaging to our, our sense of democracy. One of the interesting things about the report is that quite high up, it makes the point, you know, why is this such an important thing? You know, basically, why have we spent months and months looking into this arguably slightly arcane issue of whether a particular politician meant what he said? And, you know, they're making the point that MPs obviously have been able to kind of trust what is said to them. But it it fits into this wider parliamentary system of honour and the fact you can't call another MP a liar, you know, within the Commons. So you had this strange situation a few months ago where Dawn Butler, the Labour uh, MP, in a kind of deliberate ploy, um, made a statement accusing Boris Johnson of being a liar and she was actually, you know, removed from the Commons chamber. So it is... To an extent, it's this slightly old-fashioned symbolic thing, but ultimately it does matter. You know, as the report says, that if MPs can't believe what a minister tells them, then they can't really scrutinise the government properly. Peter, thanks for taking us through it all. Thank you very much. That was Peter Walker, The Guardian's deputy political editor. Brilliant as ever. You can read his work at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Cassin, Alex Atak, and Lucy Hoff. Sound design was by Solomon King, and the executive producer was Phil Maynard. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. This is The Guardian. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.